started prepping this, I thought that it was going to be a really, you know, straightforward sermon. Like I felt like, oh, you know, we'll just read these verses and then I'll teach what the verses are talking about. It'll be all good. And then I couldn't couldn't quite figure out as I was working on the, like like the end where we're going. As I was as I was heading that way, I just couldn't quite figure out where, what I needed to say, what we as a church needed to hear. Um, and then I was thinking about it this morning. We were at, we had a, several of us went to a 24-hour prayer event yesterday. By the way, you can go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter 8 if you'd like. Um, we went to a 24 hours of worship and prayer event um, yesterday, and Several of us went like music for a couple of hours. Several of us came and just sang songs and spent some time praying. Uh, and, and there they had all of these, these stations set up for things for us to pray for. They had us praying for praying for people suffering around the world. They had us praying for you know our first responders and our local officials and the government. They had us praying for you know, children who don't have parents to have us pray for all sorts of needs. And we also did kind of what we tend to do at our prayer nights here, where we took a bunch of note cards and we, we wrote out a bunch of different different prayer requests for us to pray for. And, and we grabbed all those so that we could continue to pray for these things. Um, and, and as I was looking through them this morning, there was this distinct theme as I was reading through there. There were quite a few prayer requests for people that are suffering from prescription drug abuse. And, and we as the church wanting to know how can we help people who are suffering with this. We had, we had a lot of prayer requests about how can the church reach out to the community, especially on a week, with so much violence and so much tension between people who who view themselves as different from one another. And there are all of these prayer requests in here for how can we as the church show the love of Christ to everyone regardless of what they look like, regardless of their background. And then I started seeing this, just this, this trend through all of these prayer requests. All of these prayer requests were at some level about people who were hurting People who were broken, people who had been so torn apart by the effects and the long-lasting results of sin that, that, that they no longer could continue to get by on their own. They could no longer survive. And it was just this, this constant cry from the church on their behalf, that we would be saying, Jesus, step in and do something. Jesus, please, step in and heal us. Fix this. This, this thing is, is broken. Sin has so ruined what we are around. What are we supposed to do? And the more I was hearing all of these cries for help, these cries for mercy, these cries for fix me, I'm broken, it just went right back to where exactly where God has us in Matthew this morning. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to do a pretty large chunk, but I'm going to break it up a little bit. 
Um, so Jesus has just finished teaching about the kingdom of heaven, about salvation, about what it's like to be welcomed into his family, and what the people of God are going to do, how they're going to behave, how they're going to live, the sorts of things that they're going to be passionate about. The, the, the effect that knowing Jesus is going to have on their heart. So he's been, he's been talking about all these things, and so obviously Jesus came with a very specific message. So we've spent a couple of months now talking about what's this message that Jesus is bringing. And picking up in chapter 8, we're going to start seeing what is the mission that Jesus is bringing. What was, what was Jesus' purpose? What was he supposed to do while he was here? And I think the thing is, we can, we can really easily look into miracles and healing and a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today and say, oh, those are one thing. And then later on he comes back and, and, and he's going to die and he's going to save us. And those are two completely different things. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the entirety of the sermon. These things are so closely related. They are basically the same thing. And I want you to be thinking, as we're reading through these things, what this is saying about Jesus and why he is doing these things for the people that he is working with. So let's go ahead and jump in here. Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So he's just picked up from his sermon and he started walking. He says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. This makes sense, because right at the end of the sermon last week, it said they were astonished by his teaching. They'd never heard anybody talking this way, so they want, they want more. They're going to follow him. Great crowds followed him. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Stop right there. A couple of things here. First, we've got to get in mind, and, we, and it's great because we've been reading a lot of Old Testament stuff on Sunday nights, and we went through a section about all sorts of different, it's awesome, Leviticus, so helpful. You know, we went through this whole section just on all sorts of skin diseases that people can get. And he was talking about if you have this kind of skin disease, well, that's not contagious. You can stay part of the camp. If you have this kind of skin disease, this is, this is really bad, really contagious. you got to be outside the camp. And if somebody's walking by, you have to let them know you have this. But, but, but there was this, but when we say leprosy, there's a bunch of different types of diseases that this could be. But there is one in particular where, like, all of your nerves and your skin and your muscles just kind of start to die and like parts of your body like start to fall off, right? Like my lip, lip, lips are curling, like it's kind of, it's kind of icky, right? And so when, when it says that a man with leprosy came up to Jesus, if somebody comes up to you who, who is in this state, it's going to be your natural inclination to kind of recoil, like, oh, I don't know that I want, like, like you're supposed to, you're supposed to keep some distance. You're supposed to kind of stay back, right? This guy comes up and kneels before Jesus, and Jesus does not recoil. He doesn't, he doesn't run away. He doesn't, he doesn't reprimand the man for being close to him. This guy who is, who, who looks, we can, I can only imagine, who, who looks like somebody 
that the rest of the crowds and the rest of the disciples even would probably want to step back from, would not want to be near. Comes up and kneels before Jesus. And Jesus doesn't look away. Jesus kind of looks beyond the social barriers that would surround this situation, where he's supposed to say, you're unclean, you need to go. If I touch you, I would become unclean, right? We've read several of, uh, we were in Numbers the last couple of weeks, and I was talking about how to transfer uncleanliness. It's like, if you touch this thing, then you're unclean. For seven days, you've got to go do this, and then you've got you to wash, and you've got to go offer this sacrifice. These sorts of things that Jesus made reference to here right after that. There's, there, there's such uh, an importance placed by God on being holy and not becoming you know, corrupted by the effects of sin, which is, how, which is what resulted in our, our sickness, our illness, right? And so Jesus isn't, isn't afraid to let this man approach him. He kind of goes beyond what the rules would seem to imply. And the man kneels before him. And I think it's interesting that he does not demand that Jesus do this. He says, Lord, if you will, you can do this thing. You can fix me. You can make me clean. He humbly, he humbly knelt before Jesus. He, he approached him knowing that there was nothing that he could do and knowing that he probably shouldn't even be that close to him. Knowing that Jesus could do something and said, I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not begging. I'm not demanding. Like we would sometimes be tempted to do. God, you can fix all this. Why don't you do it? Right now. But he doesn't do that. He, he approaches him humbly. He kneels before him. And he says, if, if this is something that you would want to do, I trust that you would do it. And what does it say Jesus does? It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. It's not just that he didn't run away. He, he, he broke the rules in a sense. He reached out and laid his hand on this guy who was unclean. But something that we need to know about Jesus is, is when, when he comes to us, when he approaches us, he is not made unclean by our actions. He, he makes us clean by his. He reaches out his hand and he says, I will. It's something that I want. I want you to be fixed. I want you to be clean. And because that's what Jesus wants, that's exactly what happens. Because what Jesus wants, what God wants to see happen, 100% of the time, always takes place. Always happens. No doubt. The healing took place because, because Jesus wanted it to take place. And the man, it says, was immediately cured of his leprosy. His leprosy left him. And then Jesus said, now go and wash. Now go and present yourself as ceremonially clean to the, uh, to the priest. Now go make your sacrifice so that you can be welcomed back in 
to society. It wasn't that he had to do X, Y, and Z. It wasn't that he had to take this, take this ritual, make this sacrifice, and be made clean. It was that Jesus made him clean, and as a result of Jesus making him clean, he took all of these actions as a response to what Jesus had done to say, see what Jesus has done, he has healed me. So we can't walk into this idea that, that we walk up and we say, look, I've done everything you've asked me to do, Jesus. Do this for me now. That's the wrong attitude. That's not how we approach Jesus. We know that we can't heal ourselves. Our actions aren't going to fix anything. So instead, we, we humbly submit to the will of God. If he wants to heal us, if he wants to fix this, he can. If he doesn't, we admit that he is in charge and we are okay with that. But... In these times when he does, there is a natural response. There is a follow-up that's supposed to happen from being made clean by Jesus. And that's what this man is asked to do. Although, at the same time, Jesus says later on uh, in verse 4, See that you say nothing to anyone. So he's saying, don't make a big deal out of this. I just want you to go to the priest and go on about your business. Don't go around shouting this from the rooftops that I've done this thing, which seems kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like this is what Jesus would want. Why would Jesus perform this miracle, revealing himself again to be the Son of God, and not want every single person to be told about it and get excited about the fact that he is here and that is the Messiah, that he is the Messiah? So why not tell everybody? This is one of the first instances where Jesus is going to say something like this in Matthew. We're going to see this again. And I mentioned that Jesus has a very specific mission for being here. We've talked a lot about his message, but his mission is not to come in as a great political leader. His mission isn't to come in and, and free all of these people from Roman captivity and be established as this earthly king who's going to rule and reign from this, from this big castle on the hill, because that doesn't actually fix the core problem that we are facing. That doesn't, that doesn't fix sin. That doesn't make us right with God. And Jesus knew that if, if too much was being made of these actions that he was taking, then they would just want him to be kind of their physical savior, their, their political savior. And we don't need a political savior. We just need a savior. We need somebody who's going to deal with our sin Make us right with God. So Jesus looked beyond all the social barriers and said, you can't be with this person. This is a, this is a sick person, or, or this is a, in, this, in a lot of cases, they would be thinking, this is a bad person. They've done something to offend God, and he's given them this disease. You shouldn't be around them. But Jesus is saying, that's not the point. I'm, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the hurt. Let's go ahead and move on. Chapter uh, 8, verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. 
and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Kind of a different situation here. Similar in that there is somebody who is hurting, there is somebody who is broken. Different in that Jesus isn't even present with them as he heals them. Which is remarkable. Right? That's, that, that seems to be the remarkable part of this point in the story. That, that Jesus can just say, that's awesome, he can be healed. And, and somewhere miles and miles away, this guy is healed. Like that should be the part that we're amazed at. But for the people that are around him, the fact that it's a Roman soldier who walks up to Jesus and says, I trust you can do this thing. Can you, can you do something for my servant? The fact that it's a Gentile who walks up to a Jewish man and says, I need your help. And the Jewish man does not reject him, does not, does not despise him, does not send him away because he is of a different nationality, a different race than him, is a remarkable thing. Jesus doesn't see him as a Gentile, uh, not someone who is a recipient of the promise that God made to Abraham, right? God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to do these things for you. And Israel, all of this time, had been holding on so tightly to that promise that, that God was going to do something special for them, that, that, that the God who created everything was just for them, was kind of their private God that they get to keep and have make them rich and powerful and important. And they lost sight of the fact that, that when he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, that he also said to them, and through you all the nations will be blessed. They lost sight of the fact that God's entire purpose in, in calling Abraham and making a nation out of him was that he was going to do something to save all of humanity, all the nations through what he did with them. And so, and so this, this man comes up to Jesus and he says, I, my servant is suffering. And Jesus says, it's okay. I'm going to come take care of this. I'll come with you. And the centurion understood Jewish culture. If, if Jesus had gone, and, and he says specifically, under his roof, I cannot welcome you under my roof. He said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. If Jesus had entered the house of a Gentile, then socially he became unclean. Like, oh, you're hanging out with those kind of people now. I can't be with you anymore. And so out of respect for the people that he saw Jesus ministering to and walking with, he said, I don't want to put you in a place where you have to come into my house and then answer for the fact that you're in the house of a Gentile. Like, like he is, in a sense, serving Jesus in this way. He's saying, I want to do this thing for you. I know that you don't actually have to physically walk into my house. And he said, and then he uses this analogy of, of his job where he says, you know, I'm under authority, and I have people under authority of me, 
And what he's saying to Jesus is right now, I recognize that honestly you are the highest authority. And, and, and you, are, you are in such control over everything that, that all you need to do is say the word. If I say a word to my men, if I say go, they go. If I say come, they come. For you, you say he can be healed, he can be healed. It doesn't take you actually doing anything because you are in such a high place of authority over all of creation. Which is an amazing thought that none of the people that were actually following Jesus would recognize. They didn't get it. And Jesus says he marvels at this idea. He's just, he's just amazed that somebody who's not even a child of the promise made to Abraham would understand the heart of God, the authority of God, better than any of these people who had heard it their whole lives, who had been raised in, who had been told, this is our God and this is how we serve him. And so what is it that Jesus says? He says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west. He's basically saying, the whole world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, right? Everyone around the world will come and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, this promise extends to all the nations. It doesn't just stop with this one little country. But the irony is, all of the nations get it. All of the nations understand who Jesus is and what he's doing. And it's the people that have had the promise. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. He's saying, Israel is the one who's lost sight of what the actual mission is. What the actual message is. And they're going to be the ones on the outside looking in. Because they've missed the point. That it's always been all about Jesus. And it's always been required that, that we look to him for our hope and salvation, not to, not to our race, not to our nationality, not to who we were born, what family we were born into. God's promise to Abraham was always intended to be a blessing to all nations. So in the end, what Jesus is continuing to 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 commend the centurion for, but also remind the people around him, is that it's never been about where you were born from. It's always been about your repentance and your faith in Jesus. It's always been about recognizing that he is your hope, not, not your family, not, not where you came from, but what he makes us. So Jesus has kind of looked beyond social barriers. He's kind of looked beyond racial barriers or national barriers. And now Jesus is going to look once more. He's going to, he's going to move past another barrier. Uh, he's going to look past gender barriers. Uh, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So Jesus walks into Peter's mother-in-law's house, which 
it's, I don't, I don't know about you, I never, it never really resonates with me, oh yeah, some of the disciples could have been married and had families, right? You always think of them as a bunch of individuals, but Peter's married. He has to marry. You've heard, everybody's heard that joke, right? The pastor joke right there. The pastor joke that says, you don't get a mother-in-law without getting a wife. Like, like who signs up for just the mother-in-law? So he's obviously married. The bad pastor joke, I'm not going to. It's not obviously how I feel, or I would have led with it. I love my mother. For the video, I love. <laughs> so he comes into her house, and he sees that Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and he just, it, no questions asked, no requests being made. Jesus just walks over and touches her, and she's healed. And what, and this is, this, is, this is what's amazing, what is her immediate response to Jesus healing her? She, she gets up and starts to serve them, right? Her immediate response to serve Jesus, this is the big thought, as a result of Jesus healing her. It's not that she went through these steps, just like with the, the leper at the beginning of the story, right? Just like him, her actions, her service, serve as a response to what Jesus had already done on her behalf, had already done for her. There was no, there was no, if you do this, then I will heal you. If you serve me this way, then I will bless you. If you do this, then I will do this. It all starts, it's just like we were talking last week about Jesus teaching about the narrow door and the narrow path. And he says, enter by the narrow door, walk along the narrow path. The door comes first. It's not you have to live this life. It's not you have to walk this certain path, go this certain way, and at the end you get to go through this door that goes into heaven. It's you enter into this by Jesus, the narrow door. Few people, fewer people than we expect know Jesus. We enter in by Jesus, and as a result of knowing Jesus, as a result of Jesus making us a part of his family, we walk this path. We go this route. We go this way. So her response, her, her, her immediate response, her natural response is, Jesus has done this thing for me. What can I do for him? And for us in the church, how often is that our heart? Or is it, Jesus has saved me, and now I can do what I want, because I know I get heaven in me. That's not salvation. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life isn't feeling secure that Jesus is taking care of everything so I can do anything I want. I, I, I punched my ticket. It's Look at what Jesus has done, and we become so overwhelmed by his goodness to us, by his, by his kindness, by his mercy, that we can't help but do anything and everything that we are capable of to bring glory to him in our life, in our church, wherever it is that he puts us to, to cry, Jesus is the only hope for me and for you. And then Matthew's kind of 
says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Where it says, he took our illness and bore our diseases. That verse um, comes from a longer portion in Isaiah. I'm, I'm saying that with a question mark because I saved it in my notes, but apparently it didn't translate over. So I get to look over it. Yes, Isaiah 52. It's part of a bigger section in there um, talking about the mission of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, this is what's going to happen. Uh, I'm just going to read a few, a few verses of it. It starts in, at the end of 52. I'm going to pick up in chapter 53. Uh, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And whom has the arm of the, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. So it's talking about how Jesus came up in a small town. Nobody really recognized him as this, this powerful king. He didn't come in the way that a king normally would come. It says he was de despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And this is the verse that Matthew just quoted. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But, despite all of that, despite the fact that we ignore him, he did all of those things for us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That whole section is talking about how Jesus, though he's being rejected by the very people he came to save, the people he came to serve, he's taking on all of this pain, all of this grief, all of this suffering on our behalf. And so when we get this picture, of Jesus casting out these demons, healing the sick, taking away all of this pain from people. What Matthew's trying to say is, this wasn't just a demonstration of power for the sake of demonstrating some power. For the sake of saying, look at me, I'm God, you're not. Every time that Jesus is healing one of these people, every time he's breaking through one of these social barriers that would keep people away from one another. He's providing an example of what he's ultimately going to accomplish with his death. He's saying, my purpose for being here is to take away your pain and your suffering and your agony and your sickness. I'm taking that all onto myself so that you can be made clean and holy and healthy ultimately. And you can, you can be welcomed into my family all together, not as, not as a separated group of, of segregated people like I identify, I'm this kind of person, I'm this kind of person, but, but that you all will find your identity in Christ. He has made us into his people. And he's accomplishing all of this because that's what he wants, right? That's what we established at the beginning. 
we are saved, we are brought together simply because he wills it, because he wants it, because he wants us to be made into this family. It's not because we've done anything. It's not because we have, we have walked a certain path. It's not because we have earned this favor. It's just because he loves us and he wants us to be made into his people. So every time, not just here in chapter 8, but you see Jesus taking away sin. Sorry, I gave you the punchline. <laughs> every time you see Jesus taking away sickness, taking away pain, that is an example of Jesus and how he takes away our sin. And how he is not, not just making us more comfortable, but he's actually counteracting. He's reversing the original brokenness that resulted in that sickness in the first place. That resulted in the pain that we all feel anyways. And I think this is a really important place for us to be in Scripture, especially this week. Um, it has been a really heavy week, right, in our country. Um, there is so much tension between, between officers and, 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 and citizens and, I mean, even to the point that we had a guy out sniping cars at 2 a.m. 30 minutes from here. Just because he was angry. He was so upset with the injustice that he was seeing that he felt, I need to do something to fix this injustice, to make this injustice right. And every emotion that, that all, everyone that you've seen on TV talking or that you, you've read in an article, every single, every single weighty emotion that we have felt this week, we relate to a specific issue or a social problem or a, or a thing that, that we need to band together to, to say, we need to do something to fix this. Church needs to stand up. We need to, we need to do something to fix this. And... and and here's the thing. We don't fix this. The church doesn't fix this. The church is a collection of people who are suffering just like everyone else. Uh, the church is filled with a bunch of broken people who have, who have sin, who have sickness, and who have pain. The only difference is we've realized what our hope should be in. Our hope shouldn't be in finding justice or retribution or or that we should say we're going to go out and we're going to make something right but we as a church recognize that our only hope of salvation is in Jesus and there's nothing that we have accomplished to get Jesus it's just that Jesus wanted to get us and so all that we can do as the church is to beg Pray that Jesus would intercede. That Jesus, that Jesus would make everything right. And, and yes, it's not going to be right until he comes back, but maybe that should be our prayer. That we would hope that he would come back 
and fix all of this once and for all. But all that we can do is pray that Jesus would do something, that he would use us, perhaps. But our message, our message does not change. Our message is not, is not, we should not be defined by the way that we cry out for social justice, when we cry out for this particular political... Our hope can't be in politicians. Our hope can't be in any individual who would stand up against some sort of agenda. Our hope can't be in the safety that we have from, from, from living in this country rather than a different country. Our hope can't... What? Our hope can't be in any of these physical things. Our only hope is Jesus. And he is the only hope for this planet. He is the only hope for this broken people that we walk around with every day. And if we don't continually revel in the glory of the idea that Jesus has thought we were worthy to get to know him. He's, but like, like he wanted to know us. He, he made us his family. If we don't revel in that, if we're not amazed by what he's done for us, and we don't get it. We don't really understand what Jesus has done for us. We don't understand where we were and what we would be doing. And so I want us as a church to be so amazed by, by the work that Jesus has done to realize that we were a leprous person that was disgusting for someone to walk up to. God would not want to be around us. We were We were, we were from a different tribe than he was altogether. We weren't a part of his family. But, but he saw past all of those specific limitations and said, I love you and I'm going to make you one of mine. And we need to be so in awe of that that it can't help but be the only thing that we focus on, the only message that we have. The only thing that we are defined by. We are no longer defined by, by our race or our nationality or by our political party, or we are no longer defined by I I squeeze my toothpaste from the middle or I squeeze my toothpaste from the middle. We're no longer defined by these different physical separations that we define ourselves among. We need to realize that we got Jesus and they don't. And we need to make sure that they hear about.